Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Split. Nothing personal word of the day. It's Halloween, October 31st. Everyone get their costumes ready, but before you do, sing happy birthday with me. Happy birthday to Coca. Happy birthday to Coca. Happy birthday to the number one producer ever, Matthew Coca. Tweet at him, yell at him, find him on the street. I mean, not that he lives on the street, but find him with what he's doing today because it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Matt. Thank you for working on your birthday. That's a thing, right? I don't know why people say, oh, it's my birthday. I don't want to go to work. It's not a thing. It's your birthday. It's just a day. I don't like birthdays. Some people love birthdays. I have a guy I used to work with, good friend PJ Loyello. His birthday is today. And his birthday is a national frickin' holiday. You don't do anything on Loyello's birthday. Coca is working. And split is the nothing personal word of the day. Split is where we are in the World Series. We are ready for game three tonight, and the score is 1-1. For those of you scoring at home, have you paid attention to a few storylines in these first two games? Because there have been a plethora. I'm not doing a recap. You want a recap? Go to CBS Sports HQ. We do pregame. We do postgame. We do a bunch of stuff talking about the game. It's not what I'm here to talk about. I got to talk about two other things or four other things that are going on during the World Series. It's fascinating watching as players, fans, sponsors, networks, people trying to get media credentials, Everyone's trying to get and be a part of the championship series. And all baseball does before a World Series, they get together and they have different departments. They have their events department. They have their baseball operations department. You see Mike Hill on the field dealing with umpires, going over ground rules. Everyone has a job to do. It is all hands on deck for the World Series. And all you do is sit there saying, please, can we not have any bad news? You know, of course, from previous episodes, you're not allowed to announce without prior permission any managerial hires, any general manager hires, any firing of GMs or managers, any trades, any signings. It is a quiet period. A quiet period is a term that we use in the finance world 
quiet period is when there's going to be news. There's a period of time before that news comes out, before you go public, where, shh, no action. Everybody keep it to a dull roar. So right before the World Series, a story comes out about diversity, and we're going to get to that after because one of you had a great question, so I'm going to want to talk about that. Then the game starts, and you're thinking, all right, we're focused on the game only. Let's not focus on anything. Twitter, a nightmare for Major League Baseball. And the reason Twitter's a nightmare for Major League Baseball is, A, they had to hire like four new people, and their job is to monitor social media and to see if they can get ahead of things. And I always laugh because once it's on Twitter, you're behind it, you're not ahead of it. Then you have the period post-game, prior to all the interviews, prior to when the players and the managers go to the podium, where you've got PR people screwing around, trying to get to the people who are going to be speaking about all the things that may have happened during the course of a game that need to be addressed. You've got umpires figuring out if there's going to have to be a statement because there was some crazy call that was made or an incorrect call. You've got managers who have to answer to things that may have happened. Should they have challenged? Should they not have challenged? Should they have taken the starting pitcher out? Should they not have? Stuff that happens during the game, it's fair game. But you still prepare your manager for it. There's certain things that go on during a game that make their way to the clubhouse. The way information gets from the clubhouse to the dugout, it starts at the GM box. Every place I've ever watched a game, we have a direct line into the dugout and we have a direct line into the clubhouse. It is rare if ever, I don't think in 18 years, I don't think we ever directly called the clubhouse, uh, excuse me, the dugout. The closest we ever came to that was twice, one in 06 when Joe Girardi was going to be fired in the middle of a game and two was in 2000 and I guess it would have been 16 when, or 15, maybe it was 15, when Dan Jennings, the then manager, had Ichiro pitch without giving us fair warning, and we were going to call into the dugout to deal with that right then and there. But generally, you make a call to the clubhouse, and you say, hey, run out to the dugout and get that ball or get that base or get a message to the bench coach. We wouldn't say get a message to the manager. The manager, in theory, is doing other things, in theory, but you would go through the bench coach, and so sometimes you see clubbies running in and out of the dugout. It has to be something of significance. When you see on Twitter that there is a lot of talk of a potential foreign substance that could be impacting a game, we are getting that information down. When we see that there are a there's a pitcher who's tipping pitches, we're getting that into the dugout. When we see that our signs are being stolen, we're getting that into the dugout. When there is a family emergency for a player, we make a decision whether or not we want that player to know during the course of a game or not. If we do want the player to know something, we're going to get that information in the dugout. Sometimes if it's serious enough, we'll go down ourselves to right outside the dugout and speak to the player in between any and if that player is playing or we have that player pulled out of the game if the player is going to be traded. There's just a lot going on during the course of a game. During game two, the Astros were trying to get the split in Houston. By the way, on a side note, in 2003, we went into the World Series in one game one. And the whole object when you have 
two games on the road to start a series, a playoff series, a seven-game series, or even a five-game series. You want to get a win, a split in the first two games, and that's a win. But the order actually matters. We won game one in 03. We then got our butts kicked in game two, and the flight back to Florida was terrible. It was quiet, and we should have been celebrating that we got the split in New York, but instead, because we had just lost the game, we were upset because we were greedy and then wanted to win two games. Whereas if we lost game one and then won game two, the flight back to Florida would have been amazing. So Philadelphia gets the split, and then they fly home the way we did in 03, but they lose game two, so their flight would not have been as much fun had they won game two and lost game one. But either way, it's the same, so you should be celebrating the same. I just remember how clear it was in game three of 03 when we lost that game and we gave up the home field advantage that we worked so hard to get in the first two games and then snip, crackle, pop, it's gone. Of course, that'd been funnier if I had said snap, crackle, pop. I don't know if that's a thing still, Rice Krispies, snap, crackle, pop. You lost your home field advantage and you're totally downtrodden. So the Phillies split, they're heading home, trying to get a winning game three. But before game two started, you're thinking, hey, we got this. We've got Zach Wheeler going. He's our true ace, not Aaron Nola. Unfortunately, we're going against Framber Valdez, who really is the Astros ace, much more so than Justin Verlander, forgetting the fact that Verlander is actually going to win the Cy Young Award. For me, and I said this on CBS Sports HQ, I'd rather have Valdez. So Valdez is pitching. Have you noticed when pitchers come off the field, sometimes they're still showing it on Fox, Right when spider tack, which is the sticky substance used by Garrett Cole and other pitchers, right when that got eliminated and they started having umpires check pitchers, you remember how the checks were. They weren't just checking your hands. They were checking your hat. They were checking your glove. They were checking your skivvies. They were, it was like a 10 to 15 second check. Remember that umpire who was holding hands with the pitcher and they had a stare down? It was a whole thing. It was embarrassing. MLB said, new plan. Just do a cursory check of the fingers. If everything's good, move right along. So, of course, that gives an opportunity to a pitcher to wipe his fingers off prior to the check, and then no one's the worse for wear. However, an opposing manager always has the right to ask for two things. One, you can always ask for a mound check. I've seen this before games. Frank Robinson used to do this to us all the time when he was manager of the Expos. A mound check is when you demand with the umpires in attendance to measure the mound because it can has to be, the bump has to be a certain height. So you can always get a mound check. You can also always get a substance check, a pine tar check. Pine tar is what is used on a bat. If you look at people's bats, Justin Turner is a great example. Martin Prado, if you want to Google him, they get pine tar marks on the back of their jersey always a pain in the neck. Those players have to tip the clubbies more money because you have to get the pine tar off the jersey after every game, and it is sticky and terrible. Pine tar is used to, because you want your hand staying on the bat, but some players put pine tar all the way up, and there's a rule. Pine tar can't go up. It has to be a certain number of inches away from the label, the label on the bat, the barrel of the bat. So you can check pine tar. Of course, on a broken bat, you can check for cork, And if there's any sort of thing weird about that bat, you can do that during the game. 
but a foreign substance check is also allowed. So if you check a foreign substance, you the, the theory is here, you don't do it in between innings. You do it once that pitcher's on the mound, and you normally do it right before your best hitter's up, and you need a hit. You'll walk out, or if the pitcher is in a rhythm, you will walk out when you are the manager of the team on offense, the hitting team, and you will go to the crew chief and you'll say, hey, let's do an in-inning check. So in game two, Twitter was all crazed because Valdez was taken out of the game after six and a third. He gave up one run, but in fact, that was an inherited run. He had a man on third when he left and Montero gave up a sacrifice fly to Gene Segura. But in any case, Valdez is walking off the field and Twitter because there's cameras everywhere, there is video of him wiping his hands on his pants. And this is after video of Valdez taking the ball. This is very common when pitchers get a ball to throw with, to pitch. They get the ball and they rub it. If you're watching this on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, they take it, they take their thumbs, they're rubbing the ball, they're trying to get dirt on it, they're trying to get the substance on it that they have on their body. The legal substance that's used is sweat. And having sweat on the ball, it helps you with grip. Players use suntan lotion. They use rosin. All of it to get grip, to get movement. None of that is as effective as a spider tack or a substance like that or a substance that baseball is trying to actually allow and they're trying to invent and have all pitchers use the same substance so there's no competitive advantage. All about the integrity of the game. So Framber Valdez is wiping, he's got the glove on, and he's taking something off his wrist and then scuffing the ball. Well, folks, that's sweat. Framber Valdez has been doing that his whole career. All pitchers do that. They're doing anything they can. So Rob Thompson said when asked, hey, MLB can look into it if they want to. I'm not going to do a Buck Showalter. He didn't say that, but that's what he was saying. And I'm not going to in any way ask for anything during the game or after the game. Let it be an MLB issue. Well, stop it right now, everybody. Framber Valdez was not using a foreign substance. The second thing that happened that MLB did not want to have happen is they had to go public, and the word got out, that one of the worst hitters on either team is the best catcher, the catcher for the Astros, Martin Maldonado. Can't hit, doesn't hit his weight. Turns out he was using an illegal bat. Bats were made illegal Several things make them illegal. Pine tar, obviously. Cork, obviously. But also the type of wood that's used, that has also changed. Do you remember when baseball was having all those cracked bats? And before they put netting all around the field, cracked bats were going, broken bats were flying into the stands, and MLB and the owners were worried about liability, worried about people being punctured, and also worried about their own players in the field being punctured by broken bats. So Maldonado, they found out, was using... Albert Pujols' maple bat. They were teammates on the Angels. Albert Pujols uses a bat that is not allowed to be used in Major League Baseball anymore, not because it helps mid home runs at all. It's just made of maple, and maple bats aren't allowed anymore. So if you were playing in 2011 and you're using a maple bat and you're still playing today, then you're allowed to continue using your maple bat. You're grandfathered in. Here's a, a boomer reference. It's the same thing as the players in hockey who didn't wear helmets after the helmet rule, and they were allowed to still not wear helmets, like great Ron Duguay. 
like players who are allowed to wear 42 after it was retired, like Mariano Rivera was allowed to wear it after they retired Jackie Robinson's number. Albert Pujols is allowed to use it. Now, one would say, why would you let Pujols use it? Because the danger is still the danger. But MLB's point of view is that the danger of Albert Pujols breaking a bat and having that bat go into the stands is small enough if it's only one player or a bunch of players using maple bats than it is the disruption that it causes to a player to change bats. When you come up in the minor leagues and you are using wood, you're using the legal wood that you're going to use when you are a pro. And bats are made by bat companies individually for all pro players. That's why their names are on it. They're different weights. The handles are different. And it is a player's request of his bat company. And all the bats are bought by a team, by the way. And they are ours. We own them. But they're made separately for every player. So you call the back company. There's all sorts of different back companies. And you say, hey, we just traded for this guy. Please send over bats with his name and our team name on it. Because until that time, the player's using his bats from his old team. So Maldonado was told to stop using the Pujols maple bat. And it doesn't matter because it's not going to make him a worse hitter or a better hitter. Pujols just sent him the bats before the World Series and said, hey, go ahead and use them, knowing that that wasn't allowed. Maldonado used them, knowing it wasn't allowed, and somehow it was figured out, and someone said something, and now he's got to switch bats. So that's two things that already are going on that are distracting to Major League Baseball, none of which are as distracting as what you pointed out to me in your question. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. If it's Halloween and you're looking to eat some half-baked cookies, you could also watch the movie, but I'd go trick-or-treating. There's a character called Samson. You have a question? Come on my Twitter at David P. Samson and ask it. David, Dusty Baker has some pretty harsh words for Major League Baseball. Ray, no African-American players playing in the World Series for the first time since 1950. Is MLB more upset with that fact or that Dusty said anything? That's my kind of question. You get the show. Major League Baseball would have been very happy to have not discussed this at all. The fact that there are no African-Americans playing in the World Series is simply a fact that the two teams who made it to the World Series don't have any African-American players. There were plenty of African-American players in the playoffs, but just the two remaining teams don't have. This is not a diversity issue, folks. MLB is quite diverse. MLB themselves will tell you they just had their first Honduran player get a World Series appearance. How many players are Latin? Jordan Alvarez is black, but not African-American. There has been a very, very important initiative by baseball when Rob Manford took over, and it's called play ball. And the purpose of play ball is to get kids playing baseball because the theory is if kids play baseball, either they'll become major leaguers or they'll become paying customers. Great. There's also something called reviving baseball in inner cities, RBI. The RBI program is hugely important to Major League Baseball, A, because of PR, and B, because you want to give kids a chance in the inner city who may not have the ability, the money, or the wherewithal to play baseball, and you want to get them playing so they don't choose football, they don't choose tennis, they don't choose hockey, they choose baseball. 
So all these teams, all 30, have RBI teams called Reviving Baseball in Inner Cities. And the hope is that you'll get a pipeline of African-American players. And there are people who argue it's not working. They'll look at the percentage of black players on the active roster. African-American players, not black players. Jordan Alvarez is black. There's plenty of black Cuban players, black Dominican players. So it's not about the color. It's about where they're from. It's making sure that they're African-American. That's the diversity that is focused on the most in baseball because that is the most underserved demographic on the field. When the NBA focused on this, remember the NBA's fans were one demographic. The NBA players were another demographic. And David Stern, many, many years ago, was overly concerned that if there was too much, quote unquote, thuggery, then that would turn off fans and sponsors. That's not been an issue in Major League Baseball. In theory, what you see on the field has been representative of what you see in the stands. But then it all changed, and there were many more Latin players. The much higher percentage of Latin players on the field, same as African-American players on the court in the NBA, than are represented in the demographic of the audience, of the fans. But baseball decided that they were going to do whatever they could to increase the number of African-Americans. And it hasn't worked. We could argue it hasn't worked because players have chosen football. African-American players have chosen football when they were young or when they were teenagers or in high school or that they're choosing different sports, just not baseball. Does that mean that baseball has done a terrible job? Does that mean that what Dusty Baker said is true? Dusty Baker, when asked about the fact that they're African-Americans, he actually was pretty clear that in his mind, it was a very, very big deal and that it was a shame and that it was a problem for Major League Baseball. Then Rob Manford had to answer to it. Rob Manford said, he notices, it's hard not to notice. But then he went through his talking points of all the things that baseball is doing, all the ways they're trying to get better representation of African Americans, a higher percentage. And I had a question. And my question to Dusty Baker, and my question to Rob Manford, is when you're talking about diversity, because that's what it's called, diversity and inclusion. Why don't black players count if they're not from the United States? Why can't the talking point be that Major League Baseball is hugely diverse? And the answer, is that within the halls of Major League Baseball, owners and in the commissioner's office, which are primarily, if not completely white, there is a sensitivity to this issue that causes an overcorrection in statements and in asset allocation. And what I mean by that is the amount of money that owners spend and Major League Baseball spends to try to revive baseball in inner cities, to try to get increased African-Americans on teams is so out of proportion to the money that's spent in the Dominican, as an example. And you've heard me talk on this show about the conditions in the Dominican. The Miami Marlins did a press conference because they opened, they just opened a new $15 million facility 
And you had the owner, Bruce Sherman, talking about the great classrooms, the great kitchen, the great sleeping quarters, all the things they're doing for all these kids. And I say it's absolute horse hockey. In the Dominican, it is a factory where we dismiss players out of hand. We sign them at 16. We give them some semblance of trade school. It's a joke. All we're trying to do is figure out who's good enough to play Major League Baseball in the hotbed of baseball, which is the Dominican, and we jettison everybody else. There's no follow-up when you release a player. You don't let that player continue with classes or continue learning the trade. Oh, yeah, two weeks left to learn how to be an electrician. See you later. That would take a huge amount of money. We don't pay our employees. You know what we pay our scouts? We call them bird dog scouts in the Dominican. Like 10 grand. The coaching staff in the Dominican is paid way less than single A coaches or double A coaches in our minor leagues. It's always been that way. Why? Because we can. So if we're going to stand up and make an issue of the lack of African-Americans on the field in the World Series, all I'm asking is that we make an issue of all of the wrongs. But are they all wrong? Can you right all wrongs? Because any time it's a zero-sum game, there's exactly 52 players on the field in the World Series. Do you agree that for every player of one demographic, that's one fewer of another demographic? MLB was far more upset that Dusty Baker said a word than the fact that there are no African-Americans on the field. However, they can't say it. They can certainly think it. They can certainly feel it. Baseball will continue to do work to try to increase participation. They will continue to give you PR tidbits of what they're doing in the Dominican, what they're doing in inner cities, what they're doing with the foundations and for charity, all to make themselves feel better about you spending your money with them. And do you think baseball is the only organization, the only company that does that? Take a look at the company you work for. Take a look at every corporate corporation. Everybody's trying to make you feel better about giving your money to them. Okay. Yes, we talked about the Marlins. All right, let's go on to something else that's interesting. You know what? I think that uh, we're going to take a break. Let's do that. After that, we're going to talk about, we're going to review a show, and then I, I have to talk to you about uh, what's going on with Kyrie Irving because I've hit my limit. I'm done. I'm not an omnist. I'm David, and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. 
That's cloudoptimizer.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet. We're here every day, including Coca's birthday. Happy birthday, Coca. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it three times this show. Beginning, middle, end. I still watch a movie every day, TV series. I love your suggestions. Somebody wrote to me and said, please watch Bad Sisters. I didn't know what that was. I assumed it was the movie with Melissa McCarthy. I thought it would be a comedy, like a buddy comedy. And so I went to find it and it was on Apple TV. Bad Sisters is a 10 part series, all of which are available, starring Sharon Horgan, who I love. She developed it, she may have written it. She was in Catastrophe with Rob, is it Delaney or Delancey, Coca, who's in Catastrophe? Rob Delaney, I think, is a different actor. I think it could be Rob Delancey, or it's the other way around. He's the one who was also in, he was just in something else I watched too. Anyway, Bad Sisters is about five sisters and a brother-in-law, and I kid you not, it's Rob Delaney. For all the movies and TV shows I've watched, I'm often asked, what's your top five villain? Can you name it? And I've given you Antoine Sugar in uh, No Country for Old Men, played by Javier Bardem, as my number one villain of all time. I've got a new number one. The husband of one of the sisters in Bad Sisters. He's not a serial killer. He is simply the most evil character ever written for a TV series or movie. It's not that he lies, cheats, and steals. Get online. It's not that he's a bad husband. Get online. It's not that he's abusive, get online. The combination of what he does and the sociopathic nature in which he does it is staggering. And the whole show is about the four sisters who are trying to kill him so the fifth sister can be saved from being married to this absolute POS. So I'm watching the show. Every episode gets better than the last. The finale of Bad Sisters is one of the great finales of a TV show I've watched this season, if not any season. I would encourage you to start now. The other star, I'm watching the show and I'm thinking, God, that actress looks just like Rachel Weisz, who's married to Daniel Craig, the erstwhile Bond. And I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm like, it's not her, but God, it looks just like her. So I don't read reviews, I don't do anything until after. I go after to read about the actors and the actresses in the show. I wanna read about this person who played this evil character, the evil brother-in-law. 
And guess who's starring in Bad Sisters? Hold on, folks. Bono's daughter. I can't, first of all, I didn't even know he had a daughter who was 31. Secondly, I didn't know he had a daughter who was an actress. Thirdly, I didn't know it was her. She's Irish. The whole thing takes place in Ireland, by the way. Her name is Eve Hewson, and I believe Hewson is Bono's actual name. I think his name is like Paul Hewson, which I didn't know until I started doing some research. Bad Sisters, check it out. Here's what you shouldn't check out. A Brooklyn Nets game. When's it time to stop buying tickets to that absolute ridiculous franchise? So dysfunctional, trying to tell you they have a big three when they have a big two, maybe a big one. Joe Sign, his wife, telling you how tolerant they are and how much they do in the community and what they want to do for African Americans, what they want to do for women, all the things they do that are great, hoping that you'll forget about the fact that their on-field product, on-court product is so bad. Well, I'm here to tell you I've had enough. I've had enough of Kyrie Irving. This past weekend, Kyrie Irving got into some hot water because on Instagram, he reposted a tweet or a What's it called when you put something on Instagram? A post, I guess, that Alex Jones had posted back in the 90s. Alex Jones, you may know, is the conspiracy theorist who just lost a billion dollars where Levitard thought that was the end of his life and he was in the poorhouse. And I pointed out, no, those people at Sandy Hook are never going to see any of Alex Jones's money. So Alex, Alex Jones did this post and uh, he did it a couple weeks ago. Kyrie Irving reposts it, and then he did a another promotion of a movie from 2015 that I'm not going to give oxygen to, but it is a clear anti-Semitic movie that is promulgated by absolute extremist groups who want all the Jews to be dead and that everyone's evil. And this comes on the heels of Kanye and his anti-Semitic ravings that have gotten him fully canceled, thankfully. Comes on the heels of Myers Leonard using the K word to describe a Jew, him getting canceled. You remember that, the Miami Heat player? He's still meeting with rabbis, like he said he would, when I didn't think he would, and he has, to his credit. Kyrie Irving takes the stand after a game, after another loss, and asked about it, and loses his mind. He starts talking to you, the fans, explaining that by reposting something, that does not mean that he's promoting it. Well, for everyone who has a platform, and remember our definition of a platform is not a million followers, it's not 100,000 followers, it's not 10,000 followers, it's one follower. Everybody with one or more followers has a platform. And when you post something or retweet it or quote tweet it or repost a video or talk about a movie, if you simply do it without comment, the assumption is that you are in favor of what you are quote tweeting or retweeting. You cannot say after, hey, I'm not saying I agree with it. I just wanted to bring your attention to it. And by the way, I'm not even saying it's anti-Semitic. Or I'm not saying I agree that Jones is a good guy. I just wanted to point out a video he did. That doesn't mean that I agree with his view of Sandy Hook. 
You don't get to do that. Kyrie Irving getting angry at a press conference because a reporter is asking him to explain why he would promote an anti-Semitic movie, and his response is, I wasn't promoting it. That doesn't fly. The Brooklyn Nets and the owner had to make a statement after Kyrie Irving's post. And the same owner, the owner of the Nets, when you do a statement different from your team, you know you have struck a big deal. Joe Sy said, I'm disappointed that Kyrie appears to support a film based on a book full of anti-Semitic disinformation. Joe, you got it wrong in your tweet. It's not that he appears to support it. He is supporting it. Otherwise, he would not draw attention to it. Joe continued that I want to sit down and make sure he understands this is hurtful to all of us. And as a man of faith, it is wrong to promote hate based on race, ethnicity, or religion. Okay. You're the owner. You got to have your team say something. So the Nets then say, the Brooklyn Nets strongly condemn and have no tolerance for the promotion of any form of hate speech. When are these teams and people going to learn? You don't have to strongly condemn it. Just condemn it. We vehemently disagree with that decision by the court or that decision by the commissioner. Strongly condemn. That means that's not your average run-of-the-mill condemnation. That is a strong condemnation. I have a message to you, Kyrie, or to anyone who is in his orbit and to any of you who do not understand what it is to be responsible with your platform. And we are living this now with the new owner of Twitter as Elon Musk tries to navigate what it is to create a forum for free speech. And there is a major misunderstanding going around this country right now where free speech, by definition, has to include and is there is a subset of free speech that is hateful speech. There is a big difference between hateful speech and free speech that represents everything that you would disagree with. Free speech is people allowed to say they're anti-choice or anti-abortion. Free speech is people allowed to say Donald Trump was a good president or bad president and Joe Biden is a good president or bad president. Talking about policies Free speech is you being able to protest in an orderly way with permits, not trespassing, to show you're upset over certain things that are going on. That is free speech. I do not have the right. Our Constitution does not permit, should not permit, did not permit, and should not be allowed to be understood to have permitted the ability for anyone to say things that are blatantly discriminatory and can incite violence. How come you're not allowed to cry fire in a crowded theater? Did you know that you're not allowed to do that? Hey, free speech. I should be allowed to say that. No. I'm not going to spend time with you right now focused on the fact that what Kyrie said is wrong, the fact that anti-Semitism is rampant. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing the racial Olympics with all of you. Because now all we're doing is talking about anti-Semitism. Does that mean that stop Asian hate is finished? 
Kyrie Irving talking about his anger about the attention he's getting said, yeah, you know, I don't even think I have a platform. I don't even know what you're talking about. And then in the same press conference talks about the army that is behind him. We all have an army behind us, whether it's an army of one or 112 million followers of Elon Musk. We all have an army behind us. It is all of our responsibilities to make sure that everything we do goes toward peace, goes goes toward conversation, goes toward communication, and above all, goes through tolerance. Don't play the racial Olympics and make this about anti-Semitism. I could stand up and say that's all this is about. I'm Jewish. Nope, not going to do it. I wonder if Myers Leonard is upset that he got canceled from the NBA for saying the K-word and Kyrie Irving suited up and played for the Nets. I guess that we have to have a handbook of what makes a player be disappeared and canceled versus what makes a player on the receiving end of a statement. Hmm. Is it their value to the team? Color of their skin? Number of years in the league? Contractual status? Nothing personal pick of the day. A disastrous weekend. Cut that, Coca. I don't want to say disastrous. Not a disaster. Going 0-3 is not a disaster. Ready? 6, 12, 69. Nothing personal pick of the day. A very difficult weekend. Gave you three picks, lost them all. Game one, Astros over Phillies. Phillies are down 5 nothing. Loving the pick. Everything's coming up. Roses. And then Verlander gave it up. And my main man, JT, couldn't be happier for JT Realmuto. And the Astros lose to the Phillies. Saturday, how do you not take the Grizzlies in the money line? How? Well, that's because the Jazz beat them. The tanking Jazz, we have to stop that. They're not the tanking Jazz. Although it's still early. The tanking Nets, nah, we lost Saturday. We had the Grizzlies on the money line. Sunday, yesterday, I got up early to watch that game in London. Streaming. If you don't watch games while they're streaming, I have news for you. You're missing the boat. There's going to be a time in the not-too-distant future when the Monday night game is going to be available on streaming only. It's just going to be the norm. So I'm watching the Jaguars play the Broncos, waiting for Nathaniel Buddy Hackett to get fired like over the Atlantic Ocean on the way home. And somehow, Russell Wilson pulled out a victory. So we lost that one too. Tonight, we got game three. Thor's going against Lance McCullers Jr. Lance McCullers Jr., and I will defend this to the death. Lance McCullers Jr. is the best number three starter in baseball. Hard stop. Noah Syndergaard is not. He is not the Noah Syndergaard pre-surgery. He is a serviceable pitcher, but he's going to be on a very short leash tonight, and the Astros are going to retake home field advantage. They're going to do to the Phillies exactly what the Yankees did to us in 3 and they're going to win game three. Tonight's pick, Astros over Phillies. So Rob Manford spends time meeting the media. It's a big part of his World Series. He goes to every game, of course. Goes home in between on the off days. I bet he was in New York yesterday. He'll be in Philly tonight. Rob Manford asked to meet the media, and the media asks all sorts of questions. 
sometimes he goes on shows and they give him a list of appearances he's got to make, a list of shows he's going to go on. He went on a show and said something that I want to point out to you quickly. He discussed the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays situation. Commissioners have been doing this for 30 years, discussing stadium, discussing stadium situations for their teams. Rob Manfred is sick of answering questions about the Tampa Bay Rays and their stadium situation, the Oakland A's and their stadium situation. Totally sick of it. There has been some hiccups in the Oakland A's situation, to say the least. Deadlines passed, renderings given, and then questions asked. Land bought in Vegas. Rob Manford came out and did something that commissioners do when they're getting down to the nitty-gritty. He actually said that he is not optimistic that the A's are going to stay in Oakland. He said it doesn't look like it's going to happen. This is the same commissioner, and they all do it. Bud Selig did it. Rob does it. Everyone does it. You always say, hey, it doesn't look like we're going to have a season. If the players don't come to the table, we're going to keep canceling games. Well, they played 162, didn't they? You say certain things publicly that are purposeful when you are trying to make it clear to municipalities, hey, we're not screwing around. There is a real danger right now of the Oakland A's leaving for Vegas. We've given permission to the A's to seek relocation of Vegas. They've bought land in Vegas. Here's the one thing they haven't done in Vegas. Ready? They haven't gotten a TV deal and they haven't gotten financing for the stadium. Oh, it's gonna be privately financed. Horse hockey. No team is moving to Vegas without a larger TV deal than it would normally get given its ranking in the DMAs because TV deals get slotted. And number two, no team's moving to Vegas without a retractable roof stadium and the concomitant infrastructure in order to ensure the possibility of success in Vegas. But we're ignoring the other important part about Vegas. Rob hasn't forgotten. Rob knows that once Oakland and Tampa have their stadium situations taken care of, that they are knee-deep in expansion. He knows it is a multi-billion dollar boon to owners when expansion happens. He knows that that is the prerequisite for realignment, all things that are necessary and have been discussed in baseball for the past 10 years. You are not giving up an expansion city for the Oakland A's to relocate. It's simply not going to happen. When DC was given to the Expos, it wasn't given to Jeffrey Laurie, the owner of the Expos. We had to go to Florida. Washington, DC got a team when they built a stadium privately financed. Uh, Excuse me. When Washington built a stadium fully publicly financed. And then on top of that, the Lerner family spent over $400 million to, to bring a franchise in there. Now, an expansion fee will be a billion. A relocation fee has to be the same. But yet the baseball commissioner and others have said, we are not charging a relocation fee to the A's or Rays. That's not true. Owners are not going to allow a free relocation, especially given that a new team, same team in a new city, Owners will look and say, are we sure they're going to become revenue-sharing payors and not payees? Owners are willing to help out other owners only if they can stop. It's like getting your child an education and paying for it because you want them off your payroll. 
You make an investment in something or someone so you don't have to invest going forward. If you don't have a guarantee that a team is going to be able to stand on its own two feet, you are not going to subsidize that team to move to a different area, a different city. It's simply not going to happen. So for all of you who took the commissioner's comments to mean that the Oakland A's are for sure moving, don't. What it means is that the public in Oakland, the politicians in Oakland, have to get their act together because Oakland does not want to continue playing in their stadium, which is the worst stadium in baseball. Why? Not for competitive reasons. The A's have been great. They make the playoffs all the time because they're taking so much money in revenue sharing. And this is a team that was not allowed to take revenue sharing dollars for a bunch of years in a special agreement that baseball had with Oakland. Owners don't want to pay for John Fisher's team. Something's got to give. The first step is maximizing the leverage. Owners do it. The commissioner does it to help the owners get that deal done because that helps the other 29 owners and that helps him get reelected. Every statement made about relocating to Vegas, every statement made about, hey, it's done, it's not going to happen, it's all just business. Don't worry, fans of the Oakland A's living in the greater Oakland area. It's nothing personal. 